1: Hello and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast dedicated to all things cycling, walking and wheeling in the UK and beyond. I'm Adam Tranter.
3: And I'm Laura Laker.
1: And this time we are Nedless because there is still a bicycle race happening over in France, apparently. But Laura and I are going to get through it somehow, with or without, no, well, without our third musketeer, yeah. not with or without, definitely without. To put aside any rumours, the last couple of podcast episodes, I've not been in them and Ned has, so it's not that me and Ned have fallen out or anything like that. Um, I don't think anyone was thinking way. that so, apart well, from you. <laughs> you know, I started to worry, actually, when he said he couldn't make it. So today we're talking about cycle training. All cyclists start somewhere, whether that's wobbling along with stabilisers or without on a balanced bike, as, as I taught my kids with. In the UK, because we often end up sharing the roads, we have to have a quite a prevalence towards cycle training because many of us will have to get used to using the roads rather than using dedicated infrastructure. So we might have had some experience from a professional at some point, and that would probably have been under the bikeability standard or cycling proficiency before that, as it was once known. In recent years, cycle instructors have increasingly voiced concerns over pay stagnation and working conditions. And now, this summer, London instructors are striking for the first time ever after what they describe as a 14 year pay freeze. The freeze, they say, amounts to a 50% real terms pay cut. So, to discuss that today, we have two guests from the Independent Workers Union of Great Britain that's the IWGB. It's uh, Swami Hosha, chair of the cycling industry branch of the IWGB and Ben House, who is the co-secretary. Welcome to Streets Head. Thanks for having us.
3: Welcome. It's great to have you here because your plight has been in the news a lot and I've heard from cycle instructors for years now, uh, you know, how difficult things are getting. And I was quite shocked to find that um, so many instructors had stopped working. I think half of instructors stopped during the pandemic in London and so it's gone down from something like 300 to 150 and apparently on average, they're losing one instructor a week in London at the moment, which is quite shocking. So do you want to, I mean, you might, you might have feelings. I saw you kind of make eye contact with each other when we, when Adam was talking about cycling on the roads, you might have feelings about like why we need cycle instructors. So it might be nice place to start if you wanted to tell us about yeah, that.
0: we go ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, I've always ridden my bike and when I moved to London in 2005, it wasn't um, a straightforward transition into cycling until a tube strike led to me borrowing a friend's bike and then that was a new chapter in my life and I've read every day pretty much ever since. And I went on to study sports science at uni and I've always had a passion for cycling and obviously, you know, human performance. But it wasn't until I had uh, my first son in 2015 that I realized that cycling on London roads with the name fund wasn't for everyone. And a change of career and life circumstances led to me learning about the profession. And, uh, you know, I've always been an advocate for cycling, helping friends in my own way to get cycling. So I thought, why not make that into a profession? And so I trained up in 2017 and I've been an instructor ever since.
3: And how about you, Ben?
0: Yeah, I
2: I moved to London in 95 and spent the first couple of years traveling on public transport and buses because I Whenever I'd lived anywhere else, I'd always cycled, but I'd heard that it was too dangerous to cycle uh, in London. Similar story then. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I got fed up sitting on the top deck of the bus and watching other people on bikes <laughs> um, and decided to start riding. I lived in a top-floor flat, got a Brompton, and I've been riding ever since. But I, when I discovered that you know, cycle training was a, a profession that you know, we could get into, I trained as a cycling instructor and I've been working as a full-time instructor since uh, 2016.
1: So as a profession then obviously when you came into it you probably didn't know too much about it now having been involved and and now being involved with a union what are the kind of misconceptions about this industry? I think I always assumed that people would work for a large supplier full-time it would be their job PAYE but actually there's a lot of gig workers as well so tell us about that and also other misconceptions about the the industry that people might not know. Yeah um the the
0: first one I think it's common for most instructors is a lot of people just think you're a volunteer to begin with. So you, you show up a weekend morning to teach a family in your local park and people just think you're you're just uh, giving up your time. And so that that's the first misconception. And then obviously the second one is you deal with a lot of schools. Most of the instructors will be working most of the time, spending most of the time in schools. And a lot of the schools do not understand that you're actually getting paid for that. And should any cancellation happen, you're probably not getting paid for that.
3: Wow.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it was the case that you know, when it was called cycling proficiency, it was run by volunteers, you know, police officers or, or parents who knew how to ride, but it wasn't standardised and there was no particular training that any instructor went through. But now we go through... An initial training course, and then we learn as provisionally qualified instructors uh, for several months before we become fully qualified.
3: Mm. Wow, that's amazing! Because yeah, I remember doing um, cycling proficiency when I was a kid and um, cycling around the cones, and I can't actually remember who did it. But it's really interesting that people assume you're volunteers, and so I guess there's that sense that maybe you're just yeah you're just giving up your time. This is not your job, and it's quite interesting that that's that obviously well, maybe creates that impression that um, that this is it doesn't matter if they cancel. And then, yeah.
0: you know, like you mentioned about how the workers are actually engaged. In, in London, most instructors are freelance, working on a so-called self-employed basis. So all the responsibility and the financial risk is on our shoulders. The rest of the country, it varies a little bit. Some are employed on zero-hour contracts, some are employed on fixed-term contracts. But most arguably are still self-employed freelance and the industry outside of London relies on uh, semi-retired people, people with a disposable income to fill in those gaps because, you know, the hours are not sufficient to to provide for a full-time worker quite often. So people without that disposable income cannot enter the industry. It's not a
1: viable professional route for a lot of
3: people. Mm. And most people, um, this is your sole job, both of you?
1: Yes. Isn't it interesting how um, society just seems to undervalue this massively? Because I would never assume or think that my driving instructor might do it because it's a fun or like you know they should be giving up time at the weekends. And but I can totally believe you when you say that you know a lot of people just assume it's like a hobby, but it's really hard because I can say that because I try. You know, I taught my kids to ride bikes you know, and one of them was really, really struggling with it. We were able to enlist the support of a qualified cycle trainer who helped sort of one of my kids overcome a particular kind of issue and was cycling in like 30 minutes. But, you know, I tried to do it the the volunteer way and I'm rubbish at it. So, yeah, it was really, really interesting how society values or doesn't value this stuff.
2: And the the job has changed dramatically since it was cycling proficiency. Cycling proficiency was very much a playground-based activity Cycle training now starts in the playground, but as soon as the um, the riders are able to control their bikes and signal, then we move out onto the uh, the roads near the school, and we're taking responsibility for those trainees on the road outside the playground setting.
0: And and we're not also only talking about children learning to ride. We work with people of all ages learning to ride, but we go all the way up to the most advanced cycling. So if you were to imagine you start off with anyone in an off-road area, in a playground, in a park, assess them and whatever level they're at, you can then teach a lesson based on their capabilities and then just keep making it uh, a, a little bit more progress each time. So you start with quiet roads and then you go into busier roads and then you get into the very busy roads and then you learn about advanced cycling. So there's a lot of uh, – another misconception is you only teach children how to ride a bike – and shouldn't that be the role of the parents, like you're saying? But also, we're here to support a modal shift and a transition into a, a, a clean, green transport that is cycling. And whether or not people know how to ride, we should be able to get them to a level that they're comfortable riding most days for most short trips.
3: Yeah. One of the most common things I hear about why people don't cycle is uh, fear of traffic. And I guess what you're doing is giving people confidence and the skills. To, is that the kind of main benefit of getting lessons to you? Or?
2: Absolutely. For, certainly for adults who would like to ride to work, we work with lots of people who say they're scared to ride anywhere outside the park. So we'll begin in the park, somewhere where they feel safe, and then, like Swami said, we'll go out onto quieter roads, show them that they can ride, you know, quite a distance on, on quiet roads. And a lot of the time you can ride, you know, most of your journey on on quiet roads and not have to deal with the busier roads. But a lot of the time people have only travelled on buses or in cars and only know the existence of routes from A to B on fairly busy roads.
3: Yeah, when often those nice quiet routes it's just that people don't know about them. Yeah, Yeah.
1: yeah. Let's get into just obviously the, the business part you've you talked about, but just so our audience fully understand. If you end up at a school or working with a local authority with adults, what process do you go through to to do that? Is it usually you know working with them directly or be it on a freelance basis? Is it through companies, charities, and then maybe if you just at the same time also explain the bikeability trust as well, because I think a lot of people will. Have heard of that, but not fully understand what it means.
0: So, I think it's important to look at cycle training a lot from London perspective and from an outside of London perspective because they're differently funded. So, outside of London, they're funded by Department for Transport via the Bikeability Trust, which is a government quango uh, that runs the Bikeability brand. And in London, most cycle training is funded by Transport for London. Um, and what happens is. Either the Bikeability Trust or Transport for London will hand out grants to local authorities who then decide how to spend that money. Some local authorities will spend it in house, most of them will outsource that service. But whichever way it happens, it has to be delivered by a registered training provider. And unless you're a registered training provider, you can't deliver bikeability. So that's
3: people like you, a registered training provider is people like, you know, no, so you're, you're like a, you're like another level. Another level. Yeah.
0: So the companies that we then work for and represent, they are the registered training providers. Yeah. Each local authority, we then tender that contract to a service provider or a training provider who compete on a number of criteria. And our pay and condition is not usually anywhere in that contract. So How does over, that work? <laughs> over the years, there is a race to the bottom. So companies trying to fight each other for a uh, council contract will then lower their prices, but obviously that maintains a perpetual lower rate of pay and worsening deteriorating conditions.
3: So when they're bidding, what are they actually bidding for if they're not bidding for the instructor's time?
0: Good question. They usually compete... Each criteria is marked against a set parameter. So quality is marked on a set of parameters. Price is marked on a different set of parameters. But what we've heard, because we don't have access to those contracts, we don't know what they look like. It's all private, confidential information. Uh, But what we've heard through various sources is that these contracts are highly favoured on price. So whoever can go lowest usually Wins not always, but usually wins, and that has led to the market in London, for example, being dominated by one single company called Psycho Confident, which has 16 or 17 local authority contracts out of the 32 boroughs in London.
3: And there's been a big pay increase or funding increase from Transport for London, Um, because we are talking about London instructors here, because uh, London instructors are the ones striking. Um, There's been a 66% funding increase from TfL to councils, which is 1.8 million. But um, your union, the IWGB says that a very small amount, uh, as much as one pound an hour has been passed on to instructors when you're asking for nine pounds an hour for pay restoration. So yeah, so I can I can understand why. Or oh, do you know what happened?
2: <laughs> Good question. Um Will Norman back in March this year announced there was extra funding. Mm. He wrote to all the boroughs and said we increased the funding by sixty-six percent. And I would like you to pass as much of or I would like you to pass some of this funding on to instructors because I've met with instructors and have discovered what I didn't know before that there's the loss of instructors, like Laura, you mentioned before this drop of Huge instructors from of 100 instructors. Uh, from 300 down to 150 in just a matter of of three years or so. Will Norman wants to deliver a modal shift to get 80 percent of people walking, cycling, or, or using public transport. Part of his strategy to achieve that is cycle training.
3: Yeah, the mayor's that's part of the mayor's transport strategy, isn't it? It's um, yeah, yeah, getting people out of cars and onto.
2: If, if he waits too long and more instructors leave, even in a few years' time, if he throws lots of money at it, there will be no instructors to deliver that training that he would like to see to achieve mm-hmm. that modal shift.
3: And, and there's huge support among the union for the strike. 89% voted in favour of industrial action with a 95% turnout. So this is, a, this is a quite, a, quite fairly unanimous, it sounds like.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. The, the the sentiment amongst instructors, one of frustration... We have started talking about this publicly and quite loudly back in 2019. And then COVID came and then it's a whole, it changed our focus ever so, ever, ever, a little bit. And, but now that there is a little bit of certainty in funding from TFL, we were able to then reshift our focus and we engaged with everyone who would like to engage with us. Our door is always open. So this is an open invitation if anyone out there who's listening would like to talk to us, we are always happy to talk. The this reason, is
3: councils and it's providers?
0: This is councils, providers, Transport for London, anyone at the London Assembly who can look at the issue London-wide because it's extremely fragmented. Every borough has a different contract, may have a different provider, different rates of pay, different terms and conditions.
3: So you're having to negotiate with all of these different boroughs?
0: yes precisely and obviously what instructors are fed up of is listening to everyone that we talk to to say we value cycle training so much the work that you guys do is amazing you're changing lives on a daily basis you're really impacting people in a positive way oh what about our pay oh yeah uh well and then the conversation just collapses. So instructors have felt that there's nothing else that we can do. And obviously we treat striking as a very serious thing and you, to be used as a last resort. Uh, ultimately, we don't want to be striking, but we are left with no alternatives.
2: Yeah, and the problem is every time we've spoken to the provider companies that we work for and asked for more money, they said, if we were to pay you more, we would have to bid higher on the in the contract tendering process and would not win the contracts and another provider would win and pay you exactly what you're getting today. Talk to the boroughs, they say. So we go and talk to the boroughs. The boroughs say, well, you don't work for us, you work for the provider companies. So it's not our responsibility. We then talk to Transport for London. They said, well, you don't work for us. Go and talk to your boroughs or to the provider companies. Now what's changed and what's unique in a sort of an industrial dispute is that at the top, they've turned on the money tap for a bit and said, you know, Transport for London said, here is some money to solve the problem. Politically, Transport for London feel they cannot dictate to the boroughs levels of pay. But they've said to the boroughs, go and meet and talk with the stakeholders and find a solution, ideally something London-wide, because we're a very small branch of a relatively small union but at the moment we're having to have 32 different negotiations plus negotiations with the training provider companies. What we've said to them is let's get together as stakeholders in one room at the same time and work out a London-wide agreement that sets a, not dictates pay, but sets a threshold for pay and conditions across London. That would then avoid this race to the bottom that's been occurring for the last 14 years.
3: And what's the impact on you? I mean, as people who have to make a living and have bills to pay and uh, what's, what's it been like for you? This
0: uh, Well, we're continuously questioning our commitment to the profession. You know, it's, it's a terrible position to be in because even though I love doing this job, I wake up and I'm motivated to go out and, and share my knowledge and my passion. There are days when you're thinking, maybe I should just go and find something else. It would just be easier if I just go and, you know, get a, another job that will have a fixed income at the end of the month. I have nothing to worry about. You know, I have three kids and times are tough. The summer months are busier. So you tend to work more to make up for the fact that in the winter, there's not a lot of work around and you have to survive the drier months. So it's, it's difficult. And obviously this is just my personal um, experience. If you amplify that, over tens or hundreds of other instructors who were in a similar position and having to think, you know, I'm going to jump ship, I'm going to find something else. Mm. And many have already left, as you said earlier, on average, one a week over the last three years. That's insane, especially given that it takes months of training plus years of crafting to become an experienced instructor. We can't afford to lose any more of this experienced workforce. And I, I dare to think that... I might be one leaving next but I'm extremely hopeful that the profession is going to be extremely well funded you know the future of cycle training is positive the importance of our role in decarbonizing transport in cities like London is unique and we are the local community champions for cycling we could be out there on every single day of the week motivating our neighbors to get cycling And giving them the confidence and the skills that they need not only to ride safely and share the roads with other road users but also to access the cycles that they need i carry my kids on my cargo bike today i rode my folding bike here you know i would love to be able to share this passion and see other families taking on cycling just like i did and it doesn't it shouldn't have to be a burden on someone to say, you know what, I'm going to get rid of the car and then start riding. Uh, But instructors are uniquely positioned to hold someone's hand and see them through that journey. And local authorities are not acknowledging that. And the fact that we lose instructors every day, it's a shame. And we have to stand up for that.
3: Yeah, you must see the difference that it makes every day to people in terms of taking someone from, whether they're a child or an adult, from either not being able to ride or not being very confident. And um I don't know, I can imagine that's quite rewarding.
2: It is. It's fantastic seeing, you know, people who we, we taught a year or two ago now out riding. They may have a cargo bike. They might have a you know bike with a bike seat and their their you know their whole family is now travelling, you know, from A to B by bike and, and you know You see them and, around and, the yeah, people and, you've taught. You know, yeah, yeah. All, and, all know, the time. And, and some so of them nice. you know have given
1: up the car, sold it you know, done away with it for good. Wow. Mm. And we're not going to, you know, this is super important because we're not going to be able to build the infrastructure, all the infrastructure we want at the pace that we want to yeah. so that people wouldn't need cycle training. I think part of the kind of, you know, thought process I've gone through is, well, we need to build infrastructure so people feel safe. And that that is correct. But also, you know, Will Norman's right, we're going through massive change and to get that mode shift, you're going to have to make people feel safe doing Doing what they can do in their local communities using the tools that they you know that they already have.
2: Yeah, and the Dutch do it. You know, th- yeah, the, the Dutch have amazing infrastructure, but they still provide good cycle training for the you know their whole population. You know that is going to be using it. Yeah, yeah. it's a good point that. And yeah.
1: I, I just wondered as, as well whether mm-hmm. you, because you, all the negotiations that you're going through at the moment and the discussions you're having, you're kind of probably trying to change the numbers within the system, but keeping the parameters quite similar i.e. the supply chain is the the same but it strikes me that i think talking to a colleague in my other job local authority that cycle instructors were actually employed by the local authorities and i just i don't know a little bit of a challenge but i think it's quite strange that the government are very happy to provide funding knowing it's going on to precarious work if you know what I mean, I, I can't think of other if we, you know well, there are other examples, but I just think that from a funding standpoint, it doesn't seem very secure and that, that they can actually identify where the money's going in the, in the supply chain that well.
0: We have actually asked the Bikeability trust, uh, to an extent TFL and Department for, for Transport, about the assumptions on cost, and we haven't got much clarity on that, but it's a very good point. How is it justified to spend public money? in a way that you don't have the transparency required, especially around, you know, the way that workers are treated. But ultimately, we are aware of training providers in London specifically relying on a big turnout of instructors. So someone like me train up and then starts as an instructor, works a few months, feel confident enough to do my post-course assessment. I'm now a fully qualified instructor, and then over the next few months, I'll get to learn the industry. I'll get to experience cancellations. I'll get to experience being asked to work for free, like when we're doing risk assessments and reports and filling out certificates. We're not paid for that time. Do you mean
3: you mean the stuff that happens outside of the lesson? So you're paid for the lesson, but there's a lot of I've heard about this. <laughs> there's
0: a lot of admin pay that admin time that we spend that we're not actually paid for. And then after. Usually on average, three years, this was uh, up to 2019, this data, usually three years is the life cycle of an instructor. Someone trains up, get really good at doing it, and then they get fed up with the industry because they're not seeing progress, and then they're just hitting a blank wall. Until we unionized, there wasn't a collective voice. It would have been me and Ben in a staff room in a little local primary school just moaning at each other for the working conditions they were under, and that replicated in every other local primary school across London. And we unionized, we sat together, identified the issues, and our campaign is around pay, restoring pay to rectify 14 years of a pay freeze. Number two is paid admin time, so if it's part of the job, it should be part of the pay. Uh, and number three is a fair cancellation policy, which Islington Council in housed instructors already benefit from for over 10 years. Uh, the fourth one is union recognition. Just before that, could you
2: clarify what happens if you get cancelled? Say it's a, a Wednesday and you've got a week booked next week. What mm. happens if that's cancelled?
0: Usually you're booked a term by term, sometimes two terms ahead. Uh, so you could have something in your calendar for six months. On the Wednesday or Thursday before you get a phone call, uh, 30 hours of your calendar could just appear like that. And most of instructors in London will get paid nothing for that week. They just disappeared. If I was working for Islington, if uh, a school booking is cancelled within two weeks, I get paid 100%. If it's cancelled within four weeks, I get paid 50%. Most of the other providers and local authorities will cancel. As long as it's over 24 hours, you get paid nothing.
1: And is that, from an Islington point of view, is that because their cycle trainers are in-house? And work for the council, or is it just some terms and conditions they've agreed directly with freelance workers?
0: So in Islington, instructors are in-housed. So we were I work for Islington myself. I work directly for the council. They pay me. I'm still a freelance sort of contractor, but the working conditions in Islington are is usually the model of what we as a branch of the IWGB want replicated across other all other local authorities. The pay still the same. It hasn't improved in many, many years, but we get paid admin time, at least some, and we get paid a fair cancellation policy, which doesn't cost the council a lot more, but protects my income. Any other scenario, if I'm working in this borough here, Southwark, if I'm working Westminster where I live, if Ben is working in Haringey where he lives, it's through the same company, and the cancellation policy means that every financial risk is on the instructor's shoulder.
3: And how much are you how much instructors getting paid a year for this? I presume there's not much of a buffer included in your pay for
0: for. So we, we have an hourly rate. Benjamin will take that. But it works out if, if you're
2: working in schools full time and doing some, you know, holiday courses and, and the um you know occasional after school one to one sessions, the average pay when we've sort of surveyed instructors is sort of sixteen to twenty thousand
0: pounds a year.
3: In London. Yes. Not Five a lot, up, is it?
0: If you want to increase your yearly earnings by 2, 3, 4K a year, uh, you'd have to work extra long days, uh, a lot of weekends. How long uh, are we talking? We could be talking a school plus a doctor bike is, what, 10 hours plus yeah. admin time.
2: So We currently do, if you're working in a school, you're there from 9 till 3, but you're then expected to do a significant amount of admin time how long, outside How that. much
3: admin time do you think there would be? in? It? There's
2: another sort of two to three hours a week at least, possibly more sometimes. with this. if you're Particularly if you're working in a school that you don't know the area very well, you'll have to spend a considerable amount of time getting to know the roads around that school, risk assessing, and then writing all that up.
3: And then presumably you have your own, I'm freelance as well, you, presumably you have your own kind of taxes and yep. you, you have yes. to factor in holiday. So there's no
2: holiday pay, there's no sick pay, there's no pension. All of that we're expected to cover out of the How's your 16 for the, to
3: 20k a year in yeah. London?
0: We, we hear from a lot of instructors who give up on going on holiday in August because they just see that as a period to uh, maximise their earnings. So they're just working flat out because there's a lot of demand, not on schools, but there's holiday courses, there's one-to-ones, there's you know rides, other events that people work in Monday to Monday to make up for the fact Seven days that a week.
3: Yeah. Quite
2: mm-hmm. often, seven it's, days it's, a week. It's a very demanding job, the delivery of, of cycle training. We've spoken to some colleagues who've really maxed out and tried to do every school's course they could do, plus doctor bikes and uh, one-to-one sessions and holiday courses and weekend work. The, I think the highest that somebody made was about 26,000 in a year, uh,
1: and after Two years of doing that, he burnt out and gave Bogging up. themselves. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm gobsmacked. Yeah, me um, too. I mean, not to undermine any other careers or or, or job pass but you know, the, the starting salary for for a supermarket, a major supermarket in in central London is twenty seven and a half thousand pounds now, and they, you know, they're offering that because of the. The same reasons you have explained, the churn, the training, the costs of of, of overheads, I guess that leads me to what it is that you um, would like. I mean, talking in general terms, you know, you've obviously talked about pay in terms of conditions, but can you be more specific with what you're, you know, what, what it is that you're looking for and what would make the lives of instructors better?
2: I think to start with by sitting down with other stakeholders and working out a, a, an agreement, we're not saying it has to be this one thing, but we need to come to an agreement where it's recognised that the basic pay and conditions will not just keep the existing instruct- instructors in the workforce but also bring in and retain new instructors at the moment the opposite is happening at the very time when the government has said it wants to train every child in the country and provide cycle training for every adult who would like to receive it we're losing instructors like you said at, you know one a week
3: in London alone uh,
2: yes uh, and the bikeability trust has said that it would like to take on a, another 1000 instructors in the country but it's really quite struggling to get those extra 1,000, and then to retain the existing workforce as well. So even though it may be pulling in new instructors, they're losing them around the back.
3: Because of the conditions that yeah. you've just outlined. Yeah,
2: But those, we feel, could really be improved by having a London-wide agreement where no one provider or borough is undercutting the other. But rather, we would rather see those paying conditions brought up to a a reasonable standard that would would keep people.
0: Taking a sort of a long-term view of the industry as well and how this maps into the mayor's transport strategy as well because we're funded via TfL with that purpose. (laughs) The money goes to local authorities to implement the mayor's transport strategy. So looking over the next five years and 10 years and finding the money to ensure that local authorities have the security in funding. And and then secondly, the TfL is actually interested in the long-term flourishing of the industry with a look to reach out to every Londoner, uh, but also attract a a new pool of uh, individuals or even uh, attract back some who have already left to benefit from their experience to obviously... Support the mayor's transport strategy, regardless of where they're working.
2: What we've found in our discussions—we've you know, spent the last three years trying to work out how on earth the industry is funded, what the sort of the pathway for the funds are, and who controls them. Since Will Norman announced the extra funding, we've found significant support for an idea of a, a London-wide agreement at senior sort of cabinet level in the in the councils, but sort of resistance at cycling officer level and uh, at provider company level so we would really like to sort of reach out to those individuals in those positions and say look come and sit down let's sort this out islington for example to name one has formulated this excellent agreement for islington Mm. but the cycling officer sort of the head cycling officer there says it's not really his business to try and work out anything London-wide. As long as Islington's okay, that's it. But he doesn't see any responsibility. But he's widely respected, and we feel that if he led the way,
1: we would actually begin to get you know, much further towards a London-wide agreement. I wonder what, um, I, I can understand why the provider would not want to, to entertain, um, or at least you know, the pay discussions would be more difficult, but from a cycling officer point of view like you know the civil servant point of view what's um you know what's their concern generally or do, you know because it sounds like isn't and get it but what you know what's stopping others
2: a, a good question sometimes they say that it's nothing to do with them and it's down to the provider company if the provider company wants to pay us more they can but they don't really get it that you know they're controlling the amount of money that the provider company gets to, can, then, yeah. to then can pay the us. set
3: standards for procurement. I mean, like they did with the lorry standard in London. There's this, this sort of procurement levers aren't there. So if you're going to deliver, you need to pay someone X, Y, Z. It
1: seems like the whole market model just just kind of leave. It gives the opportunity for people to say, oh, it's not my job, gov, kind of mm. thing, and, and yeah, it's someone absolutely. else's uh, yeah. issue. And you have to sort of unpick the entire supply yeah. chain rather than negotiating with, with paymasters.
2: Yeah. You know, the other example that is sometimes quite just to us is that you know some of our workers don't get very get paid very much therefore why should we pay you anymore um or sometimes what they do is sort of look at sports coaches who are working for example in a football pitch or an, a relatively low risk setting compared to the the work that we're doing because mm, you're um, working
3: on live roads and you're having to kind of command traffic aren't you sometimes just to sort of put your hand up to drivers and you're 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 doing sort of dynamic risk assessments as you're going along
0: I wouldn't necessarily say we would control traffic uh, but uh, we don't have the power
3: Okay, uh, is yes, that have yes. I just stepped into yeah, a bit of a one, that's that's lo- lollipop ladies <laughs> and uh
1: okay, and, you're not and, allowed and, to do and that, police okay. and, and
3: police officers are yeah. allowed yeah. to do it as, as that's one of the asks actually, but but
0: we are expert risk assessors and 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 we control risk really really well. So, uh, all the work that Ben was talking about in understanding and learning the local roads you're about to take a bunch of 10 year olds out on, you've got an, you can't just sort of you know, go on a whim and then hope everything works out. Uh, there's a lot of thought behind. And to any onlooker, the, my you know, it would be the impression that, oh, that looks good. They know what they're doing. Uh, it's fine. But they would have absolutely no idea of the amount of work that went in behind the scenes to make sure that those kids were, A, ready for the road, and B, that the roads that you're taking them on are appropriate for their skill levels.
3: Yeah. Yeah and it takes time I guess to learn doesn't it it's um it's not something you can just kind of magic I wonder if um if it's partly this uh, this attitude we have about um you know build it build it and they will come and it's like build the infrastructure and people will turn up and kind of forgetting that actually a lot of people if they're in a habit of doing one thing it's quite hard to change behavior so this this whole behavior change part is actually very very important but it's often overlooked it's not as sexy as a new bike lane or something it's yeah, but it's actually very important because you're dealing with people. You need to deal with people's behavior and confidence.
0: Yes, uh, absolutely. But also it takes, you know, every situation is different and usually a big life event change, you know, getting married, moving house, having children or changing jobs. It, it instigates, ch- you know, the change in behavior that you would see why people start cycling and where and having an instructor to sort of make sure that that journey, whatever you started... Uh, is as pleasant and positive as possible. Because a lot of people will buy a bike, they'll just go out and then the bike gets nicked or they have a bad experience and that's it. They're done. They're not going to try again for a while. And you want that everyone who has a go wakes up in the morning and thinks, I'm going to ride today. You want them to have a positive experience. So you want them to have an instructor to support them if that's what they want. And we can see that the role of instructors is quite unique and it's quite positive. But... The whole argument is about how instructors are actually engaged with. And for years and years and years, no one was ever talking about this. So, you know, council officers, politicians, TFL, they were making decisions that would impact our day-to-day lives, how we work, what we earn and how we do it uh, without any instructor present representing the interest of instructors. And that's where... The union comes in because we are, we have a direct contact with the workers. We're both instructors. The branch is led by members, and we understand the industry. We understand what goes on behind the scenes and what instructors are going through, and we, uh, one way or another, we get into a platform to speak on behalf of members. And this has never happened before, so we're seeing positive changes. Uh, I think the future is. Is gonna. It's looking good, but we have a lot of uh, uh, walls to
1: sort of tear down until we get there.
3: Optimistic note. I like it.
1: Well, best best of luck to you. It's um. It's been really interesting to hear more. I think a lot of our listeners will be aware of of the importance of cycle training, but will would not have known any of the detail. I certainly. Have, you know, when we've first discussed, been very surprised actually. Um. In in a lot of this, and and but so much of it makes sense and the way that we sort of pigeonhole cycle training as sort of a you know some something that's not that important and a bit of a hobby but actually you know from my point of view you're building infrastructure a you know as I say we can't build it fast enough we need other things for the mode shift we need but also secondly even when we are building it we need those people in the community who can talk the right language to go and speak to people and say look actually this is why you should support this or you know doing even street audits and, and other tasks that it strikes me that people with your skill sets would be very very good at Um and that shouldn't be precarious work that should be the kind of you know that's the linchpin of the kind of revolution that we need so it's been really really interesting talking to you and um, please do yeah do keep us posted on how everything goes will do thank you very much thanks and-
3: and um, I did contact the Bikeability Trust, and I think they said 700 people have taken up their bursaries to start learning to cycle across the country. And, um, to become an instructor. Yeah, to become an instructor, exactly. And they said um, the Bikeability Trust appreciates and values the incredible work of instructors and it urges London boroughs and employers to discuss the funding settlement and welfare of their workforce. Uh, and it says, as always, the Trust is here to listen to concerns and support where we can. So. That's
0: great to hear. Can I finish with one? ask if you're listening do book a cycle skill session if you're in london uh, it's free just go to tfl website and search cycle skills if you're outside of london go to your local authority and search cycle training they're usually free and you learn a lot no matter how advanced or knowledgeable you are you always learn something and then if it's not for you do tell a friend uh, you'll be supporting an instructor, uh, a professional instructor like us will come along and spend a few hours with you and be available to help you in that journey.
3: I had um, a lesson uh, as a fairly ex- experienced London cyclist and, um, for an article and I found it fantastic. Actually, I learned quite a lot. It was great. So Yeah, would recommend definitely. Brilliant. Um, so thank you, Swami. And thank you, Ben. It's been great to have you.
1: Thank you for having good us. Good luck. So you've been listening to Streets Ahead, our editor for this episode, and, and all episodes has been Claire Mansell. Let us know what you think. We're on Twitter, at PodStreetsAhead. Uh, and as always, if you can rate us and review us wherever you get your podcasts, that would be much appreciated. And of course, uh, share it with anyone you think might enjoy it. Thanks. Bye. Bye.